Good morning. It's good to see you. My name's Nathan Miller. I'm the family ministry pastor here at Friendship. If you haven't already met me, I am a, a husband and a father of six, some of whom are here. And if you're joining online, welcome. We are in for a treat this morning because we're in God's house and we get to worship his name in music and now through the word. So I'm excited to be here in this series on Proverbs that we've been going through called Tools for Wisdom. As you can see, some good tools for wisdom. When I was going into my senior year of high school, we moved to Brainerd, Minnesota. Anyone been to Brainerd? Any Brainerd visitors in the house? Yes. So we're moving into this house and getting ready for my senior year. My mom's like, hey, we got some projects to do around the house. And me being the, the wonderful high school son that I was, said, sure, mom, I'll, I'll, I'll help. What, what do you need to do? Well, someone needs to weed the garden. I'm like, ah, I got this, I got this. So I went out in the backyard and my, I started to go to town, weeding and, you know, you get the, the classic dandelions and other things. But then I came across a very unique weed that needed some heavy artillery. So I went into the garage we had just moved, so everything was kind of piled there. So I got some heavy shovels, some rakes, some, some really strong tools. And I went back to work, just tearing up this, this horrible weed that was infesting my mom's garden. And I was working at it, working. You could see the sweat dripping down. Almost an hour into this, going to town, there's, only, there's hardly any of it left. This is great. I'm, I've got almost all the weeds out. I want to show my mom the wonderful progress that, I, that I've made. Mom, you got to come and see this. And I'm expecting, like, hey, let's go to Dairy Queen because of the amazing work you've done. She's like, what have you done? What have you done? I've been weeding, Mom. Duh. I'm, I'm like a great uh, gardener. She's like, you destroyed my rose bush. And I was like, oh, no. Have you ever blown it with a job that you've been given? Have you ever thought you'd been doing so well and then you discover, oh, you are so, so wrong? Work is like that, isn't it? Work is like that. Even some of your best days, you're like, oh yeah, things are going well. And then you'll get hit by a, a semi-truck of awareness that, no, you've been ripping up rose bushes in your job. Work is like that. And we want to talk about work today. Um, and when I thought about this topic of work, I immediately jumped to some of this image of the thorns and the, the curse of work. Back in Genesis, you know how work is cursed, Genesis 3, and I immediately think of the thorns and, oh, it's going to be difficult to do work, uh, pain and childbirth. W work is difficult, but that's Genesis 3. Work was actually given pre-fall. Work was part of the perfect, ideal plan. Certainly, there's pain in work, because of our stupid selfishness to, to, to bring about the curse. But if you remember, the perfect plan that God has was for us to do work, and it was in a, in a way that was in relation to God. It was sweet. It was certainly uh, uh, rich in, in the earliest days. And, and it's still possible for us to relate with God, to have Eden-like communion with God, even now, in the midst of the fall, in the midst of the brokenness we see in work, there are still opportunities if we take a Jesus-centered approach to work. 
when we do, we can bring God glory in our workplace. We can do what we've been made to do. We can even bring others into a life-saving relationship with Jesus if we have the right lens, if we're looking at work the right way. So I want to look at work as wise, Jesus-centered people today. As, as I mentioned, we've been going through Proverbs, and we know that God set up the world like a wave pool to go a certain direction. And if we go with God's intended direction, we are considered, according to Proverbs, what? Wise. And if we go against God's way he set up the world to work, we're considered fools, according to Proverbs. So what I want to do is spend some time this morning looking at what it, would, what it is to be a fool when it comes to our work, what it is to be wise, and I want to end with a paradigm that hopefully will help us put some of these pieces together. So fools. When it comes to work, it's so easy to be a fool. There's two main ways that we do this. Or you could say two big mistakes to avoid when it comes to our work and our, and our wealth, the accumulation of, of what, what we earn in our work. And number one is, we can be idle. This is the first foolish thing that we can do. This is the first mistake when it comes to work, is to be idle or lazy. I, I get the, the, some of the language that I'm going to use today from a book that's really been helpful to me. It's called The Gospel at Work, How Working for King Jesus Gives Purpose and Meaning to Our Jobs by Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert. A, n- a number of great books out there on how, how do we live out our faith in the midst of our work. I'd, I'd recommend this one uh, to you. But don't be idle in your work or lazy. Fancy way to say lazy. A slack hand, according to Proverbs 10, causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Are your hands slack or diligent? Are they always, I think, when I think slack, I think slack line. Have you guys ever done a slack line? It's just a cord that's kind of tied between two trees, and you kind of stand on it and bounce on it. Anyways, if it's, if it's taut, it's tight, you can walk on it. But if it's slack, then you're just walking on the ground, right? And when your hands are just slack, or are your hands busy working and doing the things God's made you to do? Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligence, diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. This is an interesting proverb because in it we see that laziness leads to hastiness. If you consider the fact that everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty, you're like, that, that doesn't seem to be true. But there is a kind of sitting on a project that you're supposed to be doing and not doing it time and time again until the deadline comes. And then all of a sudden you switch into crazy mode, hasty mode to get it done. That there's a, there's a kind of uh, laziness that, that creates busyness because you are pulling an all-nighter to get it done. My dad would often say, a lack of planning on your part, Nathan, doesn't make an emergency on my part. Has anyone heard something similar? I don't know if you guys are all sharing notes as parents, but I hated that when my dad would tell me these things because I knew it was true. I was procrastinating time and time again throughout high school, and he would he'd be like, you know, it's your fault that you're in this pickle 
you had months to, to, to do this project, to accomplish the thing you needed to do. But your lazy choices, time and time again, is creating this hastiness that, frankly, I'm going to keep reading my book, and I'm not going to deal with. Thank you, Dad. We all have parents like that. Proverbs 20:13: Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. This is the anti-snooze button text of the Bible. Anyone hit the snooze button this morning? Uh, I did. I, I hit it. I, I put in like five different alarms on my phone, and the first one blew through that one. Second one, I'm like, I, I really do have a job to do today. And it would be so bad if I, I mean, it's the closest I get to returning to the school days of like sleeping through an exam, the major exam. Anyone recently graduated and still have those nightmares? You wake up in cold sweats like, oh, I missed the exam. You're like, I graduated. I have the degree. You almost have to like put the degree by your bedstand and like look at it. We're cool. Like I made it. I made it, right? I, uh, growing up, had a paper route, which was a stupid choice of, a, of a, my first job because I'm a late night guy and I can't get up in the morning. It's like a bad combination. But I, I shared a room with my brother who was a morning person so it was kind of a nice combination. Adam is his name. But most mornings, it was, <coughs> uh, Adam, can, can you do my, my paper out for me this morning? And he'd roll his eyes and, okay, but I'm, you're going to pay me double this morning. And I'm like, sure, whatever, whatever. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I made no money on that paper out <laughs> because I just paid twice as much for him to do it most mornings. But we love sleep. We love to avoid work, avoid entering the day. Well, some of us do. And the Proverbs is, is telling. We have to recognize that a life of just avoidance of work leads to poverty. This is an interesting two-verse combo, same verse. If you notice, Proverbs 28, 19, and Proverbs 12, 11, all the same words up until the last couple uh, uh, words there. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. And then in verse 11 of 12, lacks sense. Following worthless pursuits. This phrase struck me because the insight is that laziness can look busy. You can be busy doing something, but it ain't the work that God has for you this week to do. And people might look at you and be like, oh yeah, they're, they're kind of doing something, but they're actually, you actually are following worthless pursuits that are leading to poverty and lack of sense. How we approach the work that we do and to actually do the job we need to do, that is where wisdom lies. And not just being busy putzing with the things that maybe we're doing to avoid the actual work that God has for us to do. The, the, the Proverbs are full of these. We could Spend most of the morning just talking on not being lazy from Proverbs. My favorite growing up, I memorized in the King James, was go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her ways. And I remember, it wasn't until college, I'm like, what does sluggard mean? But look at the ant. They work hard. We have much to learn from the ants who are infesting our houses now. I don't know, ours made it in over the 4th of July and finding the kitchen. You watch the ants go to town. They're a good example of they don't, they don't, they're not lazy. Be like the ant. All right, don't be lazy. Don't be idle. But a second mistake we can make that we would be foolish is to make an idol out of our work or our wealth. 
to make an idol out of our work or our wealth. Notice in, in Proverbs 23, verse 4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Wisdom says there's a, a proper time to stop working, to punch out. If you have no ability to do that, idle bells should be ringing. Ding, 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 warning. If you can't ever stop working, to desist, to, to, to cease from working, to punch in the, the, or to punch out from work, you're not discerning. There's a, a, a toiling to acquire wealth that you should be, uh, that should, you should have caution in. Also, Proverbs 11:4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Some people live as if their paychecks get us into heaven, or your paycheck gets you into heaven, but we know Jesus' righteousness does that. Um, our, our riches, our earnings are not going to profit us when it really counts. Only Jesus' righteousness gets us into heaven. Look at Proverbs 18. This is a, a really beautiful picture. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. But a rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination. In the ancient Near East, walls and cities were a big deal, right? They didn't have the same sort of uh, uh, military and police kinds of... So, so they're banking on just having a big wall, being a big city. And, and to, to have a strong tower like Jesus to run into and be safe, that's, that's the righteous, wise way of thinking. But the fool looks at his wealth or his position or his paycheck as the thing that's keeping him safe. He's, he's running into that. He's considering that his high wall to protect him when things go south. And the Proverbs is pointing out how foolish this is. Any, anyone uh, experience some turmoil this last year and a half with the pandemic? Any sense in which maybe trusting in our jobs or a consistent paycheck or even a consistent industry. If nothing else, we can learn from COVID that we shouldn't put our trust in our, in our jobs, our money, only in Jesus, only the true strong tower that we can run into and be safe. Uh, if you have a pen, I'd encourage you to jot down 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. We're not going to go there from time, but, but in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, the Apostle Paul gives this really helpful warning against those who are making an idol out of money, pursuit of money. L listen to these verses. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Do you realize that if you don't get this right, your faith is at stake? You're craving for that next pay raise or working those extra hours in a way that's unhealthy. That, that craving can come between you and, and your faith. Your faith is at stake in these issues and we must, we must be Jesus-centered in our thinking. So, so how do we live? How do we live? Not being idle and not making an idol out of our work. How do we, 
How do we stay balanced in, in these extremes of idleness and idolatry? The simple Bible answer is always Jesus, right? We always, oh, any question, Jesus, yes, but we need Jesus' help, don't we? Because it, we, we're not waking up most days getting this balance right. And so we need to ask God for help. And I found this very interesting. Proverbs only has one prayer in it. The whole book of Proverbs, there's only one prayer. And that one prayer, the guy who prays it is, is praying for this balance. I thought this was really, really fascinating. Look at Proverbs 37 and 9. The guy praying it, his name's Agur, son of Jacka. You've heard of him? Good, good friend of yours. We don't know anything about this guy besides basically this prayer. And so the only thing I know about him is that he's wise because he prayed this way. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. So he didn't want to be a liar. But then notice the second thing he prays for. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. In idleness, you can fall into poverty. In an in a unhealthy approach to riches, you can fall into idolatry. He, he's trying to figure this out. How do I live in a way that's neither not trusting God in poverty or not trusting God in wealth. Very fascinating. We're not the first ones to try to wrestle with figuring this out. And we have a great example in, in the Proverbs. And so as we continue to pray and ask God to help us figure it out, we need to, to move. Okay, I know what we're not supposed to look like. Let's not be foolish. So how do we become wise? How, how do we approach this issue with wisdom? And if you have been a part of friendship long, we have to turn everything into this question. How do we love, live, and serve like Jesus in this area? When it comes to our work and our wealth, how do we love, live, and serve like Jesus? That is the question. How, how are we wise? Well, at least three ways. First of all, we work for Jesus not people. And you're like, no, Nathan, I, like, I seriously have a boss and he's a, he's a human. And you're like, well, yes. Yes, we work for people. But do we ultimately work for people? We all have the same boss and his name's Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. Bond servants, he's talking to workers and he's saying, hey, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, certainly, don't be like, yeah, I only have one boss. His name's Jesus, and he likes to hit the snooze button. So I'm not going to work because my Jesus and I are going to, you know, go to Bedside Baptist or whatever. But no, obey your earthly master, show up, do your job, but not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing who? Your earthly masters, right? No, fearing who? Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving GM. You are serving Chick-fil-A. You are serving your kids if you're a stay-at-home parent. But 
you are ultimately serving who? The Lord Christ. Paul says earlier, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever your job is, and that applies to all of us, right? In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In, in this book, uh, Sebastian Traeger makes this really helpful point. He says, Paul, because we were just reading from Colossians, Paul wants Christians to see that their work matters. Their work is actually a high-profile arena in which God glorifies himself and at the same time makes us more like Jesus. If you're doing your job right, you can bring God glory and you can become more like God through sanctification of showing up and making the right choices and laboring well to give him glory. Work for Jesus, not people. Be preoccupied in your working with Jesus, but also be preoccupied in your spending with Jesus. So you receive the means. Now what are you going to do with those means? You give. You give to good causes. Hopefully you're giving your, your tithe to the church. You're giving to friends in need. You're giving to strangers in need. But in all of your giving, recognize you're actually giving to Jesus through people. And I say that because the Proverbs say that. Look at Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man doesn't just oppress the poor man. If you, if you oppress a poor man, you're insulting his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Look in, look in Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to who? The poor? Yes. But also who? Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Giving to the poor is giving to Jesus. Lending to the poor is lending to Jesus. Jesus stands behind needy people. This is the, the story that, that King Jesus gives in Matthew 25. At the end of Matthew uh, 25, there's this powerful story, you should read it, about he comes and he's separating at the last judgment. He's separating the sheep and the goats. And he says to the sheep, hey, you're going to enter into the kingdom because when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you, you, you came and visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. And they're like, what do you mean? When, when did we do that? And, and, and Matthew 25, 40, the king will answer and say, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is saying, I stand behind all of the, the brokenness and the need in the world. And when you serve those that have been made in my image, in love, sacrificially, you're actually serving me. Jesus is connecting our interaction with people and elevating it and saying, actually, that, that is what I desire of you. I desire your means, your, your wealth to be used in ways that bring me glory because I stand behind those people. In our making money, in our spending money, are we preoccupied with Jesus? We work for Jesus, not people. We give to Jesus through people and we look what Jesus did for all people. In other words, the gospel is not just something we believe to get saved. It's something that 
orders our work week. It's something that inspires God-honoring work. It enables God-honoring work. It inspires it in this way. Think of uh, a tough decision you might have to make this week at work. And you're like, oh, I gotta, it's gonna be a risk because if I do it the way God wants me to do this, this is gonna be a difficult thing. I'm gonna get pushed back. It's gonna be hard to make this decision or, or take this risk. We look to the gospel and we say, oh, Jesus took the ultimate risk for me. I have in him an example of one willing to go to ultimate ends. Yes, I can make the right choice this week. Look, look in 2 Corinthians 8 9. Read this with me along. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that it gives understanding to all areas of life. Some people say, marriage is such a great thing. You know that marriage is a picture of the gospel, right? Well, money is such a great thing, and work is such a great thing. Riches, and, and they were all given as metaphors of the gospel, that our, our having poverty on earth, Jesus, through the gospel, who has everything, has the ultimate job, the ultimate in heaven, no, no need, no, nothing, empties himself and comes to earth, right? And through his emptying himself, he allows us to become rich. The gospel doesn't just inspire our work, but it also enables it because as we sang just a few moments ago uh, from the, the hymn project song, it is finished. Oh, 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 it is finished. Oh, it is finished, right? We sang that. That's how I sang it. Some of you joined me. The work is done. So get to work. We don't work because we need to get the job done. The job's done. It is finished. Our working is not to earn approval, to like make God like us. Our working is out of the overflow of the work God already did. So we face a work week not shackled by the needing to save ourselves in the midst of this or earn something. That's all been taken care of. We get to work because God made us to work and asked us to work in that sweet pre-fall existence. I made you in my image. I created the, the heavens and the earth. Now you create in Scott County something of beauty that looks like me because you're made in my image. And you can bring glory by, by doing that. The gospel informs us and helps us to be Jesus-centered as we approach our earning of money and our spending of money. And I want to end with this simple paradigm because I, I think it can be overly spiritual. And we're like, yep, Jesus matters. Great. I'm done with the, the sermon. On to my work week. But I if we begin to have a Jesus-centered focus when it comes to work and finances, we start to bump up against questions. Well, like, how, does, how do I face Monday with this? How do I keep Jesus central? And one very helpful tool I've come across is if we think of the great to-dos in Scripture or the great things God asks of us and then think about them in relation to our work. So the, the, the number one being the Great Commission, right? Make disciples. A lot of you recognize that in work. Well, I might, 
my work is a place where I can make disciples. And I actually think of uh, Bob Urkel, the face story video that we were able to see um, that was produced not too long ago. Is this in a nutshell? Looking at your job as a place to make a disciple. Someone who's not yet a disciple that you want to witness to and then you welcome them in because they make that decision. Your job should be, you should have great commission lenses on your job, right? Who might I lead to the Lord in my job that God's given me? Foundational, very, very important. But there's more in scripture that can help inform our work as well, such as the great commandment. God tells us, well, it's all, the whole of the Old Testament is boiled down to this. Love God and love neighbor as self. If, you, if we take this uh, lens when we look at our work, lots of things start to open up. Um, and I think of the Lord's Prayer. We ask God, we say, God, give us this day our daily bread. And God, what does he do? He, he drives up to our house, unloads the wonder bread, and hands it to us, right? Here you go. Jesus is like, Make sure to toast it first because when you spread the butter, when it hasn't been toasted, it just, you know, he, he's giving us tips on, on Wonder Bread, right? No, that's stupid. J- Jesus doesn't drive the Wonder Bread truck up to our house. But he does give us this day our daily bread. How? Through our neighbors. Through the person who planted the wheat, harvested the wheat, who brought it to the uh, bakery, the, the cooks that made it, the distributors who brought it, I'm like showing my, in. I don't know all the steps. Some of you guys are like, you forgot this step. Brings it to the grocery store, and then you go to the shelf at Hy-Vee, and you pick it up, and then you even have to like pay for it before you leave. All these people, by the time you get home, that you've had to, you've depended on to get that daily bread, Jesus fed you through your neighbor. And your job, whatever it might be, you are feeding people through your job. You are enabling this, that beautiful network of, of our economy that God set up that leans on and depends on other good neighbors doing their, their neighborly thing. If the, if the bread truck guy isn't waking up doing the right neighborly thing, but is instead getting kind of crazy and driving the Wonder Bread truck off, or if just, let's say, you're in a boat and you decide instead of going down the canal to maybe turn this way and go on the side of the canal... That affects the, the, the food chain, right? That affects the distribution. We, we know that each job matters because each job is an opportunity to love our neighbors well and you have to ask yourself, who's my neighbor in my job? Some of you have seen our little neighbors up here with my, my kiddos kind of roaming around over here. Maria has six names for neighbors with her stay-at-home mothering role regularly. She can picture all six of those neighbors But by extension, as she goes out in the community, she knows more and more people, she's asking, how do I love my neighbors? Well, whatever industry you're in, there are neighbors that you need to love. And you love God and your neighbors in the midst of that. And then the last paradigm is the great cultivation. Again, I keep returning to pre-fall commands. God gives us work to do before the curse came with the work. And that work was to fill, rule, uh, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, to take all of the raw materials he had just created and make something of them. He's the capital A artist, and he gives us, as lowercase a artists, get to work, 
He's the capital C. I'm going to get the YMCA here. Cap capital C. Creator. But he asks us to lowercase c, create, in whatever realm you are. Some of you are students right now. Your vocation is to learn, to be good learners. Right? Some of you are retired right now. Your job is to invest in your family and others around you in the community. The jobs don't end just depending on the paycheck, right? Or, or the time of day that you punch in. And where are you creating? Where are you bringing art? Where are you bringing beauty in your role? That's the question you need to ask. Because in all three ways, our work is a place to bring others into life-saving relationship with Jesus, is a place to practically love our neighbors and love God in, 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 in tandem, and it's a place to bring the beauty that God intends for there to be in the world, all pointing us to him. And if this wasn't good enough, we get to end with a picture. I'll come up and, and close it, but we, we get to end with a picture of this great cultivation. We have in our congregation people who can are screenwriters, who are videographers, movie makers, are actors. We're going to watch a brief video vignette that helps us kind of bring some of these things together as it relates to work. And in particular, notice how art is something, this beauty, it's, it's a good job. A good job to do because it's part of this great cultivation. So, so take in this movie now. You know, I, I made a, a big mistake when I was supposed to be weeding, and it wasn't just about the rose bush. I was so eager to serve my mom that I didn't stay connected to her. And I think a lot of us uh, are in danger of that this week, of leaving here, going to work this week, coming back next week, bringing all of our money that we earned to say, here, look what I did for you, without staying connected to Jesus all week. He wants to know what projects we're working on, to be a part of the, the Monday through Friday realities that we have. And the invitation for us is to think, in what way can I stay connected to you this week? I'm going to ask the worship uh, team to make their way up front, and as they do, a couple discussion, or not discussion, but um, reflection questions that I want you to think about. What garden or gardens has God given you to cultivate? And how can you connect to Jesus more faithfully in the midst of your work? Just give you a few moments to think on that. We're going to move into a time now of offering. And as the, the red buckets pass, you can put your connect card in there, in there as well as, as offering. And I want to pray, but as you do, be reminded as those red buckets pass of this picture. We're, we're giving back to Jesus what he's given to us. And it's an act of worship and it's an opportunity for us to stay Jesus-centered with our finances. Let's pray. Lord, as we move into worship and this time of giving, I do pray that you would loosen our hands from the tight grip that we have on our resources, that you would give us a sense of generosity that matches yours a generosity to, to leave the heavens to rescue us, that we would have that same willingness to give, that we would be able to be your image bearers in this world of, 
of uh, cutthroat uh, pursuit of, of money at all costs, and we can recognize you alone are worth pursuing. So let us give freely and let us worship deeply in Jesus' name. Amen.